0: You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Hello, this is Pat Hoos coming to you from the Bicycle Retail Radio, presented by the National Bicycle Dealer Association. And today, I am here with Mike Duvarney, who is the Executive Director of USA BMX Foundation. And we have a really interesting discussion planned for today, but before we jump into conversation with Mike and him telling us a little bit about himself. I thought I'd just give you a quick background on me. Been in the bike industry for close to 40 years, going back to Newbury Park, California. My dad bought a bike shop when I was 14, managed a store in college, and eventually led to an outside repping job, and ultimately have worked for a number of companies in the bike industry, including Cannondale, American Bicycle Group, Titus, Easton Bell Sports, And most recently was with Interbike for almost seven years as the trade show director. Today, I am a consultant in the industry and working for a number of different companies on specific projects and looking for my next challenge, my next opportunity. So that's a little bit on me. I won't bore you with any more than that. And now I'd like to turn it over and welcome Mike. Mike, welcome and thanks for being a part of this.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me.
0: So I spoke with John David a couple weeks ago, and he told me his background, who was the executive director of USA BMX. But tell me your background. Give us your background in the related industry, and then how you got to USA BMX. So John and the majority of staff at USA BMX are BMXers, right? They grew up in it. They
1: know it, and they know it well. And these guys really cut their teeth in BMX. At USA BMX, I mean, there are staff here that have been here since the 70s. A good percentage of the staff have been here 20 years or more. Wow. And I know, it's crazy. I'm the exact opposite of that. So for 16 years, I worked in the camp and after school and education market. People hear that and they think sports camps and they think of a local kid or local coach meeting some people at the park or gym. This was large scale, 11 different sports, multiple states, hundreds of camps going on in a week. So that really helped me and prepared me for a lot of this, has helped with our success. I sold that business in 2017. My true passion is developing youth programming. I started a consulting group. My first month, I had zero clients. Within a few months, I had some of the largest names in business. USA BMX eventually was one of those clients. I started out 10 hours a week in 2013, helping develop what would be some of our first educational programming Four years later, it resulted in a full-time opportunity as the executive director of the foundation.
0: That's fantastic. You came from a very different background. It's great to hear somebody that has that broader perspective and brings that to the table every day. I got to believe that helps you in what you're trying to do.
1: I think it's just depends which side of the table that you're on. I like to think that it helps, and I like to think that I have a different perspective. Not everyone agrees with me, and I respect that. But I know that I am truly passionate about what it is that we are doing. And I bring that to work with me every single day. I think I have the best job in the world. And I have some very, very lofty goals here at at USA BMX Foundation.
0: At the end of the day, I just want to put more kids on bikes. That's awesome. Let me ask you this. Do you ride bikes now? Now that you've been a part of this crazy industry that we like to call home, are you riding bikes now?
1: You mean am I a crazy collector like the rest of you? Yes, I've started. (laughs) So I'd always had a mountain bike. And like most people, that bike just collected dust in the garage. But then once I started, I realized that you know, I have an opportunity when one of these guys says, hey, you want to go for a ride? And I'm out riding with you know, an Olympian. I should probably take advantage of those opportunities. And that's something I'm going to regret if I don't do that. And then just also realizing that it's like golf, how much business is done on the golf course. I realized how much business was done on bikes. In fact, for the longest time, the CEO... Sam's Club had a podcast called Business on Bikes. And so for me, I thought, you know what, I need to ride more. So that developed into a couple other bikes. And then I really went all in and got a gravel bike. And I absolutely love this gravel bike. It's the best bike I've ever owned. And honestly, you can take away all my other bikes and I'd be happy with just this bike.
0: It's so great to hear you say that because it is the bike of choice these days. It enables you to go wherever you want to go. If you want to go off-road and you can. If you want to go around on the street, you can. It's really the most versatile thing that's happened in a long, long time. So glad to hear you're out there. Well, I got to tell
1: you, it was forced on me. If I'm being brutally honest, it was forced <laughs> on me. And I didn't want it. I didn't want to be that trendy guy, you know. And I got the bike and I started riding it. And it didn't take long to figure out why it is so popular. I absolutely love this bike. And so, you know, now I'm already looking at the next level of gravel bikes so i'm i'm in i'm i'm in hook line and sinker
0: awesome all right well let's shift gears a little bit because we did a podcast a couple of weeks back with john and he talked a lot about usa bmx really painted a very encouraging and exciting picture of what's happening in the bmx world today and it's great and i want you to bear in mind our audience is primarily weighted towards bicycle dealers bicycle retailers so That's who we're talking to here today, and I think John really expressed to them the opportunity that's happening within the BMX world. And a lot of these retailers who maybe have said, you know, BMX is not important to our business anymore. Maybe, hopefully, they're rethinking that way of approaching the business. And today, we're going to shift gears over to the foundation side. And again, with a retail flavor, let's think in that those types of terms. But I think everybody needs to understand a little bit more about the USA BMX Foundation, how it got started, and how it correlates with USA BMX, the sanctioning body?
1: Great question. And I'm sure we'll chop this up into smaller segments. But the short of it is, is from the mid-90s to 2013, the USA BMX Foundation was a nonprofit organization that housed our Race for Life and Warnicke Scholarship, two wonderful programs that have been in existence for a long time. You can find more information on our website, usabmxfoundation.org. But from really then 2013 to 2017 is when I came into the picture and we started to really see what the foundation could be and really gearing it more towards youth and getting more kids on bikes. And so we started to develop that youth programming. We came up with a set of programs. Like I said, I was working 10 hours a week. And as we developed these programs, We needed to get out there and tell the world about it. And we really didn't do a great job of that from 2013 to 2017. We went to a few educational conferences, did some email marketing, really did zero social media. And so the programs grew virally over that period of time. And so from 2017 is when we really started getting going. We launched full-time 2017. We launched our track modeling program or other read-to-ride program, which I know we'll probably get into all of that hired our second staff member December 2017, and then our third staff member. And from there, it's just kind of taken off. And so now we're a fully separate, fully functional 501c3. And our goal every day, as I mentioned before, and I'm sure I'll say later on in the podcast a dozen times, our mission purpose is to get more kids on
0: bikes. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about the goals of the foundation. Obviously, the overarching is getting more kids on bikes, but there's a lot more depth to what you're doing. And you guys list them on your website, the six foundations goals. Can you talk a little bit more about those? And that's going to dovetail right into some of the programs that you guys are doing today.
1: Yeah. So I'll break it into two parts. I'll talk about the goals of the foundation and then kind of our mission, vision, et cetera. But then I think the real important second part of this is how do we work with the sanctioning body? How do we work with USA BMX, right? How do do we work with USA BMX? So our, our mission statement is pretty short and simple. It is creating a passion for education and sport through cycling. And one of the things that people point out all the time is it doesn't say anything in there about BMX. We are all about BMX and everything we do every day involves BMX, but we're about getting kids on bikes. And I believe that if you fill that funnel the more kids you put on bikes, the more kids are going to ride BMX. And so that guides really everything that we do. And then the second part of that is how we work with the sanctioning body. We utilize the framework and infrastructure of their tracks, their track operators and athletes. And so you look at USA BMX, I know John touched on 320 plus tracks, and each of those has a track operator board, et cetera. That network allows us to really plug kids in to that framework, each one of our programs provides a trial membership to the local BMX track. So not only are we working with the kids in the schools each and every day, thousands of kids per day, literally, but where there's a specific call to action to get all of those kids out to the local BMX track. And I know you and John talked a lot about the growth with USA BMX. And I think a lot of that growth comes from <clears throat> their initiative with this programming that they've invested
0: so heavily in well this is the part that i love is what you guys are doing at the school level which is again we're talking to a retailer audience here and this is where i hope we can paint the picture of opportunity for these retailers to get more involved but i love the fact that you guys are going into the schools and talking about things and getting kids out on bikes and getting them engaged in multiple ways so You guys really have four cornerstones that you are focused on in your education initiatives. Can you walk us through those four and kind of give some depth of what they're doing and what the kids are doing? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Before I get into each one of them, I think one of the things, if we're talking specifically to
0: that retailer,
1: part of the reason these programs have been so successful is Approach. And I have met hundreds of deeply passionate people that have spent their entire lives in the bike industry. And I think that's a positive and negative, right? Because when someone's passionate about something, they lead with it and you can see it and you can feel it. And I totally get that. But if you want something you've never had before, you have to do something that you haven't done before, right? So with these educational programs, they're educational programs for cycling programs second. And some people don't know how to react to that. But these are truly educational programs, and what I mean by that is we take the auspice of education, specifically STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math, or in some cases, STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, and we use the bike as the framework to deliver that education. And and the educational term for that is disguised learning or disguised learning concepts. And so through that, these programs have been vetted, they've been aligned, aligned meaning that you hear so much about today's educational standards, people are teaching to the test, schools and teachers are teaching to the test. These programs are aligned for specific grade levels. So the things that are talking about in the classroom are in these specific programs. And that's part of what has really helped with the growth of this. So when I'm out talking or our track or our athletes are out there talking about these programs. They're educational first, cycling second, and that has opened so many doors for us. So the first program that we came up with was the STEM program, and it's a, it's a basically an eight-chapter BMX program where students are going to use a bike to learn force, friction, resistance, circumference, etc. Bikes are simple machines, and as I start to use those words, a lot of different visions go through people's minds. Just to give a very specific example, one of the chapters... Students are going to ride the bike with a stock tire. On a BMX bike, it's a smooth tread tire. And they're going to talk about the handling properties of that tire. What does it sound like? It's smooth. It doesn't really make a sound. What does it feel like? It feels like a tire. Well, now the students are going to swap out that front tire for a super knobby, aggressive front tire. Well, that has now changed the handling properties of that bike, very similar to a studded snow tire on the front of a car. How does it sound? Well, it's louder. How does it feel? It's bumpier. Well, that results in more friction, more resistance, slower times. I mean, I say that and we all get that. But if you're a fourth or fifth grader, this stuff, all of a sudden, it's like a light bulb goes off in your head. And this is the program that I wish I had when I was that age. So that's the first program. It's an eight chapter program developed to get kids on a bike and really help them understand and overcome That barrier to entry to a bike.
0: Are you teaching the teachers to present this, or do you have people that are going into the classroom and doing this? I was referencing my sports camp history and model before. What drove
1: me insane, almost literally, was the fact that we had hundreds of camps going on a week, and those were staffed by staff that had direct reports to me, and and it was something that we were managing. And and so, before I even came to USA BMX, I had in my mind this vision of the next thing I was going to develop which was going to be a teach the teacher model and get out from under that weight of managing all of that. And so that's exactly what all of these programs are. So the program is student led, student taught, there's an instructor there to help them, but we sell this as a kit, which includes five bikes, five helmets, tools, stand, alternative tread tires, and we ship that to the schools. And then that school, that Boys and Girls Club, that JCC, YMCA, et cetera, uses it for school time, after school time, summer camp. And the numbers for that program are actually pretty staggering. So to date, with just that STEM kit alone, we've sold 781 of those STEM kits. Well, if, you, if I'm a retailer and I know there's five bikes in each of that, you can do the math and see that that's a ton of bikes. Yeah. So, you know, and so that's 781 park stands that are in schools across the country. You know, and so the great thing about this program is most people, when they think STEM, they think tech and technology, these programs are not consumable, right? It's something that they're going to use and kids are going to go through it. And so we have some of these programs that have been in place since 2013, since we initially started, where 10 kids at a time go through this program. There are schools that have had hundreds of kids use these programs time and time again. And so it's truly something that happens literally every single day. And I've had people question and ask and challenge that. You can go to our website. There's a map of where every program is around the country. You can see that there is a USA BMX Foundation STEM program going on every single day somewhere in the United States. So it's pretty amazing to think about. But all of that is being done by either volunteers or after school program providers, teachers, track operators around the U.S.
0: Okay, that's what I wanted to figure out. And your target age and grade for the STEM program—you're looking at fourth and fifth graders primarily, is that right? It's really third, fourth, and fifth. I use the example of
1: fourth and fifth. It's really when they start getting that dexterity, that familiarity, and honestly, with a 20-inch bike, it's also a size thing. So it's really geared towards third, fourth, and fifth. I, I know I've been going on and on about the program for a while because I, you know, I love it. I'm very proud of it. But one of the things that surprised me the most about the program is how many middle schools we have purchased it because it speaks to that kid. That kid that maybe missed it the first time around, you know, when you're in the classroom and you're starting to get that glazed-over look and some of these concepts. You put a kid outside on a bike, they just get it.
0: Bicycle Retail Radio is supported by our NBDA members. All our member benefits can be found at nbda.com. Join the NBDA today.
1: You mind if we jump into the track modeling program
0: no absolutely i was going to preface this but before i jump into the track modeling to me this bmx stem program is ideal for setting the stage and getting the kids excited about it right and not every kid's going to take to it but a lot of them will and they they want more and now there's another organization called project bike tech that's out there today that is at the high school level where and they're actually starting to look towards middle school so now you got a kid hooked now there's something that they can graduate into at the high school level where they can actually learn how to become a bicycle mechanic and become valuable coming out of high school or during high school. So there's programs out there that are coming together to really where we can start growing the next wave of not only you know riders, but people that can actually make a career out of the, the bicycle industry, which is exciting. So anyway, I just wanted to share that story because I think Project Bike Tech would, would actually align really, really well with this. But let's talk about, because I was watching the videos online, and I really got a kick out of it, and man, how fun would it have been to do what you guys are doing with these kids on the track modeling. So talk about track modeling in the school, because it's really cool. So
1: track modeling program, it came to existence from the fact that I had teachers calling and saying, I love the STEM program, but it includes five bikes, and it only serves 10 kids at a time. I need something that incorporates my whole classroom or whole grade level. And so as I started sketching out ideas, I'm a big believer of the arts, and I really wanted something that was hands-on, something that was able to reach more kids, and it came from this idea of a school asking to build a track. And the school said, we're interested in building a track, but we want the students to build a track. And as I started talking to them, I thought that they were talking about building a replica scale track. (laughs) <laughs> and they were talking about building a life-size track, right? And, and and so as we started talking through this, I started sketching some ideas out. And then when I realized that what they were talking about, I was like, here's the program. And there were two folks at the Tulsa Sports Commission that I worked very closely with on this. And they're big partners of ours. I know you and John talked about the facility in Tulsa a little bit. And they were really starting to champion our STEM program. And I said, what do you guys think about this? And I laid it out. And then we just sat there and brainstormed for the day, and that birthed really the track modeling program. And so it's a STEAM program. It is only for fourth graders. It's aligned within fourth grade. And I'll put this challenge out there because it's something that I think people have a hard time getting their mind around. This is the only program that I know of that encompasses an entire week of school. Bell to bell, Monday through Friday, 25 plus hours of instruction, the schools give us This entire week devoted to BMX. And so students start by conceptualizing their idea of what a BMX track is. They're watching videos, looking at pictures. They understand the history of BMX back from the flat track days and how it's evolved into an Olympic sport. And as that has changed, how the tracks have changed, bikes have changed, technology has changed. And then from there, they start working into groups. And I'll tell you, Pat, this is that secret sauce to this program is this next part, which is the social and emotional learning. And it's a big buzzword in education right now, but so many people today are trying to figure out, how do I work with other people? How do I work in groups? You know, we 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 don't work really independently. We work with other people. We don't get to pick who we work with. And so this program really targets that. And so there's a big focus on group projects and roles. And... It's a major focus on design, planning, engineering, architecture, and construction. So they Skype with one of our pro athletes, and they get to ask them their first-person perspective. What is it like to ride a BMX track? What features do you like? What do you look for in a track? And so they start to build these concepts of what their track could be. And then they ask questions of a track builder, a real track builder, and what features work well together How tall should my features be? How many berms should I have? How tall should a tabletop be? And so they're getting to ask questions from a track builder and there's some interaction. And now they're starting to layer in the educational world. They call it scaffolding. They're starting to scaffold these concepts. And then really the highlight of the program is on the third day, the students go out to the local BMX track. And we split them into three groups. Of course, they get to ride the track. One of the groups is going to ride the track. And the majority of these kids are riding a track for the first time and many are riding a bike for the first time. So imagine never riding a bike and then going on a BMX track and (laughs) and people just lose their minds when they hear this, right? Because they're trying to envision it and it's exactly what you think it is. It does not go smooth at first, but what you see is confidence. And you see these kids grasping it and do kids fall? Yeah, kids fall. And they get right back up and they go again. And now we're building resiliency, which is a big part of building kids today. So one group is riding, another group is learning how the track features and the stem component factors into those track features. And those berms that they thought on the video were six or eight feet tall, they realized they're 14 feet tall and they can't walk up on are slope like a cereal bowl. And then the last part is the third group realizes that the track is a system and the track cannot operate independent of these system's. Why do we have lights that extends our operating hours and makes it safe? Why do we have a snack bar? Why do we have a parking lot? Why do we have speakers? And they realize that, you know, independently, these are components, but they all work together to form a system. And so now they've taken their knowledge that they've built from the videos and their own sketches and designs, the knowledge from the pro rider, the knowledge from the track builder, and their firsthand personal experience. They go back, make some revisions, and now they build a replica scale model of their own BMX track and they build it out of dirt and so they build on a two foot by four foot board and one of my favorite things to see is when adults see these kids doing this for the first time and we bring all the dirt in we bring all the supplies in and all day Thursday and all day Friday these kids spend the day building and bringing their creations to life and so it's really heavily rooted into earth sciences and mathematics Scale and, rep- and ratio really aren't introduced to fifth grade. These kids are understanding how to bring all of this design to life. And it's really, really amazing to watch. And then on the last day, we hand out trophies and awards. It's judged by a panel of local communities. And a lot of times that is a track builder of retailers. We often invite retailers to come in and partake in this. And it's really a wonderful thing to see. And so as an asterisk to all of that, we're working on some really cool stuff. There's some organizations nationwide that have seen this, and their heads exploded. And they're trying to get us to take it to astronomical levels. We've had a couple different groups ask us if we can do this across 20,000 schools. And the answer is no. <laughs> hard. It's a hard no. Yeah. no. And just mathematically figuring out the 180 days in a school year, Getting all of those kids out to the track, it just doesn't happen. And so we are working on a way to scale this. We're working on some VR, AR technology where students don't have to go to the track or if there's not a track nearby. But we are working on some really exciting things with some really fun partners to make this happen. And so it's a STEAM program, again, specifically designed for fourth graders. Awesome.
0: Have you heard of Giro? We are an outdoor gear rental company based out of Denver, Colorado. We partner with local retailers all over and give them a platform to showcase their merchandise online while also making the rental process easier for the customer. Think Orbitz, but for outdoor gear. Learn more at giro.com or email us at hello at giro.com. Just because we've got more stuff to cover, I'm going to shift gears on you and have you talk a little bit about the read to ride program at the root of it. It's similar to just, you know, good old fashioned AR and AR points. And I remember my kids having to read and get their AR points, but you have a little different spin to it. Talk to us a little bit about read to ride. (laughs) Read to ride comes back to
1: the concept I mentioned earlier, where I wanted something a whole school could do and a whole school could do at one time and get behind reading is reading. I'm a horrible reader. And the funny (laughs) thing about myself is I have a passion for education and learning and I hate reading books. I'll read an article. I'll read anything online. I love absorbing information and learning, but I hate reading long form books. And I don't think I did it enough as a kid. And Harry Potter wasn't around then. You know, back then it was Choose Your Own Adventure or one of those books, right? But for me, I want to instill a love of reading in kids. And so we encourage kids to read minutes or minutes, whether you're reading a newspaper, a comic book, or a book, top reader for each grade level gets a variety of prizes. The top, reader for the school gets a bmx bike and helmet and it really is that simple and it's funny to see schools implement this program and the kids that they thought would participate are not the ones that are participating they have kids that they would have sworn are not readers and hate reading those kids like myself and they come out of the woodwork to own that bike and win that bike and so it's a great program we have it going on all across the country
0: fantastic i'm like you i'm not a big reader. But if I was a fifth grader and I knew if I read a bunch of stuff, I have a chance of winning a bike, I'm all about it. So are those bikes part of a corporate sponsorship? How do you guys come about those bikes? Are they donated? Can a local retailer be the donator of the bike and helmet? How does that work? So
1: all of our programs include some sort of cycling hook or cycling component, right? you know even our school speeches and our school program which I think we'll talk about in a second but really forever and ever we were supported by Free Agent and KHS you talk about retailers and bike dealers i got to give a shout out to Wayne Hello. D Gray with KHS and Wayne taught me everything about this bike business and i learned so much from him he was our partner on this for for really 6 years almost 7 years so with that he really was our main sponsor and main provider was until recently mongoose came to us and mongoose really loved what we were doing they noticed you know all of the thousands of kids we were impacting and so we've been talking to them for forever over a year to try and put this together and so now the bikes that we provide for all of our programs and this is new for our stem programs for our rederive ride programs track modeling everything is all mongoose
0: bikes Okay. Well, I'm just glad that they're getting wow. go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say Pat,
1: I'm too that I'm glad that they're getting bikes. I will say that I have had local bike shops come to me and ask if they could donate a bike to read the Ride and my answer is yes. Absolutely yes, 100%. We provide the prizes, they provide the bike and that gives that dealer that plug in all day every day. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, bike dealers and getting them more involved, you know, uh, hopefully we do at some point. But Absolutely, yes.
0: Okay, good, 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 good. So talk about motivational speaking in the schools and trying to inspire these kids. And how does one go about that? What kind of speakers are we talking about? And how broad is that today, your motivational speaking piece?
1: This came to me when I stood on a stage uh, a few years ago in front of some elementary school students and i realized it just dawned on me i mean i've known it for a while but it's that it was that striking moment where i realized i am no longer cool at 49 years of age my cool days are behind me and and i could be up there giving i could be like the oprah bikes, giving every kid a bike they wouldn't care i'm still not cool and we do give out a lot of bikes for various things you put a bmx athlete in front of kids and these kids see themselves they hear the stories of these athletes starting to ride at a young age and sticking with it and overcoming all of their obstacles and you know injuries it resonates with these kids and what i found in the more i started learning about our athletes within the sport is every rider every athlete has a story and you know i was so fortunate when i started in this i started asking people if i'm going to latch my wagon to one athlete who should it be and universally everyone said Donnie Robinson, Donnie Robinson, Donnie Robinson. It's got to be Donnie Robinson. So I meet this guy, this Donnie Robinson guy, and he's a Olympic medalist, 2008 Olympic bronze medalist, uh, 2009 UCI World Champion, multi-time World Champion, you know, BMX Hall of Fame. I mean, this is the guy, and his accomplishments on the track have been great. But I'll tell you what this guy has done since he retired. And what he's done for the sport of BMX and what he's done for cycling is unbelievable. And so when I realized that Donnie had a message, and his message was, how far can two wheels take you? And it was a metaphor for his bikes taking him all around the world, and his bike was his thing. At five, five he realized that football, basketball, soccer, all of those other things were not his thing. Cycling was his thing. And I was like, we're on to something. So Donnie's message was maybe hockey's your thing, maybe cooking's your thing, maybe acting's your thing, but how you find your thing is by trying new things. And it was really that partnership with Donnie that helped me understand this and seeing the way they react to him versus the way they reacted to me. And as I started going out and learning more about our athletes and our stories, I started expanding our stable of speakers. And I'll tell you, going out to schools now We have a couple dozen athletes that do it, and every message is different, but the reaction from the kids is all the same. It's truly incredible. And so these motivational stories, you know, the stories on failure, there's stories on equality, there's a variety of different stories, and we have someone speaking in a school somewhere in the country at least once a week. And before every one of our 30-plus nationals across the country, we're going into schools and speaking.
0: That's awesome. Nobody was talking to me back in the day about this. I'm really glad to hear you saying this. and I think it's super important. These kids at that age, they need somebody to inspire them. And I think BMX is attainable. It's a bicycle. Like you said, you don't have to be 6'1 at 13 years of age to be on the basketball team. There's not that pressure. So I love it. You you've got these guys going out there, these folks. Talk to me a little bit about how a local bike retailer can engage with the foundation and the work that you guys are doing at the school level, is there opportunity for them to sponsor? How do they lend a hand? How do they get involved and have it translate to these families and these kids coming to their business?
1: You know, Pat, this is a tough one for me
0: because I've seen the best and worst
1: of the cycling industry as a result of reaching out to bike shops. And, you know, I think it's important to be clear and honest with this. You know, I yeah. I've called and sent Facebook messages to shops, asking them to get involved, and some of them just haven't responded. But worse, I've had others that flat out told me, you know what, this isn't for them, and it's not their target market. And it just sucked the wind out of my sails. But at the same time, you look at a Ben's Bikes down in Tucson or the Bicycle Shack in Arvada, Colorado. Just two examples of people that I could call right now and say, hey, can you help me with this? And they're in. They ask the question, all right, tell me more about it. And then they asked, how do I get involved? And then once they started seeing it, and once they started seeing the love and passion these kids had for cycling, they just got it. And what I realized is there's a correlation. Both of these people are successful in their shops as a result of other things, but I think they just get it all the way around, right? And so I can tell you that going back to our STEM program, I get a lot of jokes because I have been able to negotiate that we ship bikes unassembled to schools and allow kids to assemble them and then ride them. And and people are like, you did what? So, you know, (laughs) bikes are shipped directly to the schools in the STEM program. The kids assemble the bikes, and then the kids learn to ride those bikes. And they're like, how does that happen? Well, we were able to work it out. It's the same response we get when we have kids that have never ridden a bike before, how they're able to ride at a BMX track. And sure, there's some risk involved, but the reason I say that is the bikes go through a safety check in that STEM program, but you're a bike dealer and you want to get involved, it starts right there and then. They have so many questions. One of the biggest questions I get is that someone will take a picture with their cell phone is, what is this? And it's a chain breaker in their tool set. And they're like, what is this? It looks like a whip. What is this? You know, and they don't know what it is and they want to know what it does and how to use it. And there's only so much that we can handle from a national level. At some point, we need some people on the local level that want to be involved. And these schools would love some way to have someone come in and talk about their own cycling experiences and how they got involved with, like you were talking about, with Mercedes and Project Bike Tech and her group and how those kids get involved or how their work today can lead into a career within cycling. And so there's a variety of ways to get involved. I mentioned judges for the track modeling program. I mentioned donating bikes. The thing is, is all I'm really asking people for in this is their time.
0: I think that it's time and recognizing the value of this customer for the long haul. Because if they get up in front of a couple hundred kids each year, even if 10 of them become hooked on cycling... Guess who's gonna be buying a mountain bike when they're 15 and they're racing in Nike or they're just passionate about it. They go ride with their dad or their mom or whatever. That's what we're trying to get across is a BMX bike. It's a $200, $250 bike. It's not a huge margin generator for retail, but down the road, that customer who started off in your store as a BMXer, he or she could very easily become an enthusiast mountain biker, or maybe even a road cyclist or, you know, who knows? But we've got to start somewhere, and there's a long tail here that I think retailers need to recognize. It's more of an investment, and it's an investment in time at this point. So I heard this from a retailer, and I'm going to repeat
1: it. Two people walk into the shop. The guy walks in by himself that wants to buy a $3,000 road bike, or a guy walks in with his kid that wants to buy a $500 BMX bike. Who are you going to help? And I thought for sure he was going to say the road bike guy. And he says, BMX. And he says, I'll tell you why. Number one, I'm going to have that customer for life. And the people in this sport are constantly upgrading their components. They're racing, right? And they're going to grow as the sport grows. And as their love of cycling grows, they're going to start collecting bikes like we joked about at the beginning. And the second part was that complete bike is called a complete bike because it's complete. You may not see that guy for another five, six, 10 years. And I thought that was so dead on. I know it's not everyone, but so many of these retailers, they do not think about that long tail and that
0: lifelong customer. Yep, I agree. Just because we're getting near the end here, a couple, three more questions here I still want to come at you with. So talk to me a little bit about how you guys are funded. How is the foundation primarily funded? And you mentioned Mongoose. Is there any other support? Uh, I don't know if Wayne D is still involved on the KHS side, but are there other companies that are investing in your programs and in the foundation? What more can the industry be doing to help support your initiatives?
1: Mongoose is a large funder of what we're doing at this point. We are a foundation. Last year we secured over $100,000 in community grants, and this year we're on track for 2020 to surpass that. So we're funded, A, with a large donation from USA BMX, B, from the BMX industry see from grants and other donations, just like any other 501c3. Okay. And then the second part of that, you were asking about, what was the second part of your question?
0: Uh, just wondered if the supplier community besides Mongoose was you know taking an active role and if there was any investment on their part.
1: It's coming around. I will tell you that the more that these programs get out there, the more some of these groups see what we're doing and really Begin to understand it. You're starting to see more and more, and I'm I'm excited for that.
0: Good, good, good. Well, I think that you know us doing this, these two podcasts. Hopefully, this starts to filter out and starts to have an impact because I think the more you guys and John mentioned that when he and I had our conversation, how we've got this incredible inertia going behind USA BMX and it's not getting out to the market. The bike industry doesn't realize to what extent the success you guys are having. And that there's growth. There's a lot of BMX companies that when you talk to them, they're kind of snickering and they're going, yeah, we're killing it. We're up 25%. I mean, it's great, but that story needs to get broadcast a little bit louder to a bigger audience. So hopefully these podcasts and the more and more what you guys are doing at the school level, it's going to start to filter up to the companies that can make a real difference and can help expand the programs that you guys have already laid the groundwork for. So I'm encouraged by that, but here's where I just kind of wind things down and just have you speak to how do you see BMX fitting into the overall cycling ecosystem? You know, the whole big picture, where does BMX fit into that?
1: This is a tough one because I think that there's a lot of people that see it as a kid's sport and it's something you do for a little while, right? And I get that, but really it's where the cycling industry starts. And there's a couple things. Number one, I think listening to some of the cycling industry talk about getting more kids on bikes, and then the next thing out of their mouth is talking about trending paint schemes or apps or all of that stuff. I mean, please. I mean, that is not going to get more kids on bikes. It's not going to get more kids on bikes at all. And so they want to get more kids on bikes then look at the people that are getting kids on bikes. And it's not just our organization. There's a ton of grassroots organizations out there that are doing it. And the other thing that I'll say about it is you go through our photos, you go through our videos, we are hitting every single diversity and every single gender point out there. We are seeing just as many girls on bikes and just as many uh, people of color on bikes, if not more. And so I think that overall, every kid starts their journey on a 20 inch bike at some point. And I'm not saying that every kid needs to race. I, I get that. You know, recently we had a great meeting with Nika. And one of the things I learned about Nika is that you can be a member of their team, of one of their cycling teams, but you don't have to race. And my head exploded. I was like, that is so genius. Because right. kid wants to feel a part of something bigger and better. And so why not be a part of a cycling team and you just go out and you practice all the time. And maybe racing isn't your thing, I am all about BMX and I am all about BMX racing and the wonderful work that tons of people have done before us, but it's about time that we look at this in a different way. And so I think that when the industry realizes that this isn't a kid sport and it's something that people do for a time and they realize that this is really where that long tail starts. I think that you're going to see those people start to see growth in their business and a shift in their business. And you look at some of the other programs we offer, like our BMX Racing League. That's another wonderful program actually founded by Donnie Robinson that we talked about earlier. Manufacturers are starting to come around to these items and look at them and and tilt their head and go, huh, I haven't seen that before. How do I get involved in that? And so for me, we are a family sport. And what other sport can you get out there and ride with your kid? Your kid races, and then a little while later, the brother or sister races, mom races, and dad races. And I just love the fact that our sport in general recognizes people of all abilities, all races, all genders, all colors, and that every single person can race.
0: Love it. Mike, you did a great job here, man. I really appreciate everything you've shared with us today. I want to thank you for taking time out of your valuable day. I know you've got a lot of things on your plate, so... Really, really appreciate you taking the time to spend with everybody today. Is there any last comment you'd like to make to our audience just as a wrap-up? The very last thing I would say is that there's a lot of great work going on
1: right now within Youth Cycling. And people say all the time, well, I didn't know about this or I didn't know about that. And I will tell you that there is a group of folks getting together, forming a movement right now in the Cycling Coalition. And I'm sure you've heard about it. And you'll hopefully have Kat from People for Bikes, the Youth Cycling Initiative, on in the future. But there are a lot of good minds, a lot of people that are putting a lot of time and energy into figuring out how do we get more kids on bikes and how do we keep kids and people on bikes? And I think that the results of that, as you're starting to see that now come out and the effects of that, but long term, I can't wait to see the next five to 10 years.
0: Hallelujah, my friend. I am a big fan. I'm on the board for People for Bikes and the Bicycle Product Suppliers Association. So I've been in those preliminary discussions about our youth initiatives and what we need to be doing to cultivating the next wave of cyclists. If we don't, we run the risk of losing more and more of them. And we all know how important the bike is to a kid. It's that first taste of freedom, right? I remember getting on my bike and riding to the store and we can't let this generation, this next generation of kids not have that experience in their life because they're they're getting sucked into these digital tools that take them away from outside and getting outdoors and doing things as a family. And you guys are really leading the charge. I applaud your efforts. Once again, I thank you for your time. And I'd like to just wrap up by saying thank you all for listening and taking part in this. And this is the Bicycle Retail Radio presented by the National Bicycle Dealer Association. Thanks for listening. This has
1: been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.